we're starting a new series for the summer, and it's Pentecost Sunday. And so this series that we're beginning is called The Book of the Twelve. The Book of the Twelve. We're doing a series in the minor prophets for the summer. There's 12 minor prophets. Now, we only have nine Sundays this summer that we're doing this, so we're gonna, it'll be like the Book of the Nine. We're just going to not do the ones that aren't good. No, I'm kidding. They're all good. The minor prophets, if you're going, what are minor prophets? The minor prophets are uh, the books at the end of the Old Testament. So Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, uh, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, all the books you never read. So this is great. Most of you are like, oh, cool, I'll get to know what in the world these things are about because, you know, I just haven't uh, done that yet. Okay, so we're, this is going to be, I believe this is going to be a really powerful summer for us. It's a shared series we're doing across the entire Grace family, so all the churches in the Grace family are preaching in this series. And, um, and today is sort of the intersection between Pentecost and the book of the Twelve, and we're going to be reading from Joel, the book of Joel, which is what gets quoted on the day of Pentecost by Peter and really speaks to this, this day on the church calendar that's happening right now. So we're going to be in Joel today. I, um, I got LASIK two weeks ago. LASIK, ice laser, they shot lasers into my eyes. I got la- So gone are the Rob's transition glasses where you're like, is these, are they sunglasses? Are they regular glasses? I don't know. They are no more. Only regular sunglasses for me, which I might still whip out on stage every now and then to be cool. But I, uh, so I, the day I got LASIK, I, I, I sat down in the chair, and the doctor said, okay, this is the laser that's going to correct your vision. Get ready. And the laser cranks up. Has anybody had LASIK? A few people? No? Okay. Oh, very. Uh, I'll tell you about it. Okay, so anyways, the, the laser cranks up. As the laser starts... I am not lying to you right now. I am not joking with you right now. I am telling you the truth. As the laser starts, the song, look at this photograph, by Nickelback, fades in. And for the entire duration of the procedure, Nickelback's song, Photograph, plays loudly in the background. Not kidding. Sounds like a lie. I'm laying there. As it starts up, I was almost like, no, no, stop everything. (laughs) Not like this. I don't want it like this. But then I thought, there's a laser shooting my eyeball. I should probably not move or tell anyone to stop. Um, So, And then I also thought, this is going to be a great story. So... I, let, I just let it ride out. Nickelback plays. I don't know why. I, don't, I still to this day, I don't know if the machine was programmed to just always play Nickelback's song Photograph at the beginning of the LASIK surgery. Everyone, here's Photograph. Look at this. Like, and it faded in like at that line. Or there's a DJ there at the LASIK place. And he was like, oh, he's going to love this. And just someone behind in another room just fades it in. Or maybe someone at the front desk was like, oh, shoot, we forgot to turn the music. And they just turned the music on and hit Spotify. And it, at that moment, it was just, no matter, all three are a miracle. I consider all three a miracle of God, whatever it was. So I got LASIK. I can see good now, which is awesome. Um, and uh, I, I, I got it because I was having issues with my eyesight. I could not see, especially long distances. I struggled, you know, to, to see. And I wore glasses, and that was fine. But I was just kind of tired of it and wanted to be able to, you know, live my life, right? And so, um, so I needed, I, I, had a, I had a need, the eyesight. There was a solution, but the solution came with a sacrifice. It cost money. I also had to let someone do things to my eye, which I will not describe to you. 
but I was very aware of it while it was happening. They give you some numbing drops, and that's it. So it's like, okay, this is happening right now. I got shot in the eye with a laser. I had to endure Nickelback. And then I was blind for the next four hours. They said, you got to go home and take a four-hour nap. So I made sure to schedule this at, at a time where we would have childcare, <laughs> and I could just, like, not, I could just, you know, go be, um, you know, have goggles over my eyes for, for four hours. Um, if you've never gotten to an Uber blind, that's fun. Um, so I had, a, I had a need. I had a solution, which had a sacrifice. And then now my, I'm seeing uh, 2015, they said. So I'm, like, seeing better. So if you need a, a Top Gun fighter pilot, if anyone's recruiting, I'd love to skip uh, boot camp and all that stuff and go straight to the Jets. I don't have a lot of free time, but I do see good now. Um, so the, there was the need, there was the solution, which did involve some sacrifice, and then there was results that are actually better than I had. I could I had with gla- regular glasses. My my eyes are working better, which is amazing. Today we're going to be in Joel, and I, really, if you boil down what we're going to see, I'm not going to read the whole book of Joel to you. I'll give you some some of these sections and portions, but the the, the movement we're going to see across the book of Joel, and it's really what we see across the entirety of Scripture. It's it's this: is that God what God offers us is always greater than what God requires of us. You can take that to the bank. What God is offering you is always greater than what God is requiring of you. And maybe that sounds wrong to say, like, but no, God wants my whole life. Yeah, he wants your whole heart, your whole life, your everything, and he's willing to give you everything, which is more <laughs> than what you're giving up. What God offers us is always greater than what God requires of us. And when God restores something, what God restores is always greater than the thing that was lost. It's always greater. What is restored is always greater than that which was lost. And this is what we're going to see in Joel. So if you want to, um, you can turn to Joel. We'll, also, we'll have these on the screens. Today it might be easier. I'm going to be jumping around a little bit in Joel. That might be easier just to read them off the screens and maybe take some notes. So Joel Chapter 1, verse 2. All right. There's, this is what's happening in the book of Joel. There's a locust plague that has destroyed the entire landscape. And there, everyone is compl- everything is completely devastated. This is, this is what the book of Joel is about. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have eaten, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. What is going on? There's just a lot. There's apparently there's a variety of locusts and they've covered everything and there's nothing left after the locusts have come through and eaten everything. Um, there is great devastation in the land, uh, in, in verse 12 of chapter 1, Joel says, The vine is dried up, and the fig tree is withered. The pomegranate, the palm, and the apple tree, all the trees of the field are dried up. Surely the people's joy is withered away. So there's this, this huge crisis, this devastation that's taking place across Israel and Judah. And it's the prophet's time to explain and interpret 
the times that are taking place. Uh, Eugene Peterson, about this book, he says, you know what? When crisis hits, everyone becomes a theologian. When bad things happen in your life, you become a theologian. You immediately start, we all do this, we start interpreting the experiences of our life and we start interpreting God and we start deciding what God is like and what God is doing and what God is not doing. God's mad at me. That's why this happened. God doesn't care about me. He let this happen. God is absent. That's why this happened. We start making, this is the people, the people of God in the Old Testament, and we have a tendency to do this too. We all become a theologian. When everything hits the fan, we start saying, we start making decisions about what God is like and what God is not like. And it's the job of the prophets. This is what the prophets do in the Old Testament. They stand up and they reinterpret the times. And there's a movement we're going to talk about through the book of Joel. And the first thing that we, we must do, and we must let this scripture do for us, is to reinterpret the times. So your own life, where are you at? What's going on in your life? What, I'm not going to assume that you're in a crisis right now. We kind of all have experienced some sort of a, a mega crisis over the past few years when pandemic hit. And I don't know, maybe you were tempted at that time, two years ago, to, to interpret everything and to make decisions about. I know there are people online saying all, all sorts of stuff about God's role in it all. Everyone was very, a lot of people were very confident that they knew exactly what God was up to or what he wasn't because of the things that were happening. I wonder how you've been tempted to interpret the experiences of your life. Maybe the experiences you're having right now. Good, bad, in between, all of it. How are you interpreting your life right now, the experiences of your life? And the invitation is to begin, as followers of Jesus, to begin to interpret our lives through the lens of God's love and God's grace. So the prophets interpret the times, and the first thing that we're invited to do is to reinterpret the times. In uh, Joel 2, Verses 12 through 13, Joel says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. So there's this thing that's taking place. Joel is interpreting the, the times, and he's calling people to turn to God and to, and, and to see what God might do in the midst of this crisis. And I don't know if you've experienced this, but crisis is like a great time to get right with God. Not because you believe that he's causing it, not because you're afraid that if you don't return to him or repent that everything's going to go wrong and go bad, because that's bad theology, Right? If that was true, then only then people who are fully devoted to God would never have bad things happen in their lives, and people who weren't fully devoted to God would never have good things happen in their lives. And we just know that's not true, right? But crisis is a great opportunity to return to God because crisis wakes us up from our kind of like tendency to be half asleep in our lives. I had a friend back in the day, uh, Kirby and I, when we, we had a little, we led worship for a young adult ministry when we were um, newlyweds, and our bassist, a guy named Evan, he's a great bassist. He, uh, he was a gigging musician, so he played in a blues band and would play like, he was in a blues trio and would go play all these like bars and stuff all around wherever, uh, drive really far to go play, and then he'd be out all night playing some bar. 
and then he would drive home and he worked at Starbucks in the mornings. <laughs> and so he'd be out all night in some bar playing blues bass, and then he'd be up at 4 a.m. To, to work at Starbucks. And so he, uh, he would fall asleep at the wheel, like a lot. He said there were times where he was driving, he'd be driving in the middle of the night, and he would just wake up like going over like hills on the side of the road, like just, whoa, his car's like catching air going over a hill. I'm like, this is terrifying, man. He said one time he woke up, his car was stopped just between two trees on the side of the road, and he just woke up and he was like, whoa, how did I get here? I don't even think he was parked. He was just like, the car was just idling. And he came, he, he's, he made it. So I know some of y'all are worried. <laughs> As I tell the story, he's okay. I don't think that happens anymore. Um, but maybe it does. He, uh, he's okay. But I don't know if you've, have you ever fallen asleep at the wheel? I've had recently, I'll have, I'll fall asleep holding a baby in the middle of the night, which you're not supposed to do, but it, ha- it does happen. Okay. And there are times where I wake up and I'm like, oh my gosh, and she's still just fine and I'm fine and everybody's fine. But I'm like, that's not, that's wrong. That's not supposed to happen. Uh, so that's a, that's a jolt that takes place. Crisis wakes you up. And um, in that sense, it can be a, a gift. Because I can get complacent. I can get comfortable. I can, um, I can get focused and fixated on the direction my life is going, the details of my life, and sometimes miss. I'm relating to God in it all, but sometimes I'm missing, like, God's heart in it all. I don't know if that makes sense to you. Um, we reinterpret the times. We return to the Lord. And then finally, what we see in Joel is there's an invitation to receive the promise of God in our lives. Joel 2, 25 says this, this one verse that's so crucial in this, in this book and in this story. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. I really want to pause here for a minute. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. So God, he's, he's interpreting the times for them. He's calling them back to himself, and he's saying, hey, I'm actually going to give it back. I'm going to restore. I'm going to return. I'm going to repay the years the locusts have eaten. And I don't know if this, this is a powerful metaphor to me. I don't know if any of you feel like there are some years that have been eaten by locusts in your life. I don't know if any of you feel like there's been some time that you've been set back. There have been some times that you felt like have been wasted. There have been times when goals haven't been met that you had or when even things that you had, um, you had built up and achieved or acquired had been burned through because of making it through a crisis. God says, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. And I don't know, as I've been praying about this passage, I, just, I have a sense actually there's some people here today, some people watching online, like God is about to repay some things that have been taken from you in your life. Maybe that's literal finances. Maybe there's some of you, you're going, I, I have, the locusts have eaten my bank account. And God is saying, I'm going to repay you. Not because I owe you. I'm just going to do it. That's the beauty of the movement of God throughout the scriptures is, is you don't earn it. It's not because you prayed right. There is a call in this to, to fast. And God says, rend your heart and not your garments. Open your heart to me. Make room for me for the thing I want to bring into your life. That's what rending your heart means. Open your heart. I'm about to repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. Maybe it's, it's in a relationship 
Maybe you have been afflicted with anxiety or depression. Maybe there, whatever it is, the thing in your life that you feel like, this, there's been a plague in my life. And either people know about it or I've been fighting through it alone and no one knows. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. The restored thing is always greater than what was originally lost. The resurrected thing is always greater than the thing that died. That's, that's what we see. That's the theme throughout scriptures. The, the, the resurrected body of Jesus is the glorified body of Jesus. Right? He's walking through walls. He's ascending to heaven. The resurrected state is better than the, the pre-dead state. And so often we're just going, we're trying to hold on to life as we know it. And God is saying, I actually want to resurrect, I want to restore, I want to, I want to bring about something completely new. This last passage in Joel that I want us to read, he says, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. This is the, the passage from Joel 2, 28 to 32. This is the passage that gets quoted on the day of Pentecost. This is what Peter says on the day of Pentecost. And so here's, the, here's what happens in Joel. There's a crisis. That's the context of what's taking place. The locusts have eaten everything. There's devastation. God is calling people to return to him, even to repent, to call a fast. And there's a lot of expression around that repentance and fasting that you read in Joel 1 and 2. And then pretty quickly, if you're reading through the whole book, and I would encourage you, if you're interested in this, read through, it's like it's three chapters. Read through Joel this week. It'll take you a few minutes. There's a corner that turns really quickly from warning and a call to repentance to a, an immediate, a promise of restoration, a promise of renewal, a promise of, of, um, of giving back what was taken, repaying what was taken. And so there's the, what was lost, there's the crops, there's the fields, there's the homes, there's the wealth, it's, it's your money, right? This is how they survived. Your livelihood, there's loss. God's saying, I'm gonna, I, I care about, let's, let's boil this down, the needs that you feel in your life right now. God is saying, I care about that. And I wanna, I'm working in that, and I want to work in that. So, like your financial need in your life right now, God isn't saying, well, that's not spiritual. That's worldly, so I don't care about that. No, he's saying, I care about that. The relational need in your life right now. Whatever the thing, the, the felt need in your life, God is saying, I care about that. I want to speak into that. I want to restore that. I want to repay that. I want to rebuild that thing. I want you to, fl- actually, I don't want you to just survive. I want you to flourish in, in every area of your life. Jesus is saying, I want you to have life to the full, abundant life. And I care about these areas of your life. I'm dignifying them. I'm validating your needs, your longings, your desires. Right? But then... There's this additional promise, and Joel says, like what we just read, and, and afterward. 
after I repay for the years the locusts have eaten, after we get you back in the black, afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And it's like the conversation changes. I don't know, have you ever been praying and asking God for some, to speak into some area of your life and like it seems like the conversation changes and suddenly you and God are interacting around something that has nothing to do with what you went to him about? God, avenge me. <laughs> I don't know what the thing is. This person hurt me, hurt my feelings. <laughs> and God's going, okay, you're going to forgive them. And now I want to talk to you about this. Has that ever happened? Where it's like God takes you and just like shifts your perspective, shifts your gaze. And so there's the immediate need. It's kind of like LASIK, okay? There's the immediate need. You're seeing what's right here. And then God zooms and y'all, it's crazy. I can see the leaves on trees 200 yards from here. I could shout in praise over that. Okay, so he says, afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And Peter, hundreds of years later, in the midst of a different crisis, their crisis is, Jesus is gone. Hey, Jesus, the one we've been walking with, the one we've been following, the one we've been trusting in, he resurrected, that's good news. Now he's gone. He has ascended into heaven, and he said, wait in Jerusalem for the, the gift of God, the promised Holy Spirit. So they're waiting, but they don't know what that means really. They're waiting in Jerusalem, gathering together to pray, and in Acts 2, I'm actually going to turn there. We won't have this on the screen. If you want to turn to Acts chapter 2, you can. Acts 2. Verse 1 says, when the day of Pentecost came, Pentecost is a Jewish festival that was already happening. When the day of Pentecost came, it's a festival of the harvest, by the way. Fruitfulness, not devastation. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans, then how is it that each one of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both the Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Interpret this for us. Interpret the times. Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he quotes the passage we just read. Peter, in the midst of their own crisis, no one is theologically astute enough to 
to interpret those times and say, Jesus has ascended into heaven, and in just a few days we'll see the promise of Joel fulfilled as we gather in the upper room. No, they're just there. They're, he's told us to stay. We're staying. We're going to pray, seek God. We have no idea what's going on. Until the Holy Spirit moves, then Peter has wisdom from on high <laughs> to reinterpret the times. And he says, this is what that said. What's happening in Joel? I care about the devastation. I care about what the locusts took. I care about your, your material needs. I care about your emotional needs. I care about you surviving. And I actually want to give you something so much greater than grapes and figs and the crops that you've lost. I want to give you myself in a way that you could not possibly imagine at this time. That's what Pentecost is. I'm going to invite the band to come up. There was a guy that, that um, visited our church about two and a half years ago and met with me and Justin, our associate pastor. And um, he, he just had said, hey, I feel like I've got a, a word for Y'all, the people, the pastors leading this church. And a lot of times when that happens, it's like, okay, this is probably going to, this might be something really weird or it might be something awesome. So never, there's not really an in-between normally. Um, but I'm always open. I'm like, someone give me a prophetic word. Let's do this. I want to hear from God. And so this, this gentleman met with us and he, he just said, hey, I feel like um, God is saying, tell him what you want for this church. And, and he'll actually do it. Tell him, but tell him what you want for this church. And, um, you know, in that moment, I could have said, I'd really love to grow our budget. We had something like a $2 million budget at that time. I'd really love to grow it. Maybe a $5 million budget. That'd be great. Or I'd really love more people in our gatherings. Or I'd really love, there we go, on that. Or, that was the prayer. No, I'd really love more house churches. I really love, you know, some something measurable. I don't know. But the only thing, the only authentic response to that question in my heart was, actually, all I want for this church is I want God for us. I just want us to have God in a way, in, in, in whatever way he wants. But I, I want him in this church. I want a move of God. I want the spirit at work. I want not in a, I, I want not in a forced way, not in a because this is how it happened in the past way. I just I just want God at Grace Midtown, and um, God gives and He provides the other stuff too, and there's highs and lows and there's peaks and valleys in our lives. But the promise has always been and will be from God, if you want me, you can have me. And I'll show you what that looks like. I'll show you what that means, he's saying. If, but if you want me, you can have me. I'm going to invite you to stand up right where you're at. My prayer for Pentecost and really the season coming out of Pentecost this year for us is, Holy Spirit, would you move 
in an authentic way in our midst. I've experienced the moves of the Spirit in my life, in this church, in other churches, in, individually. I don't know, maybe you have too, and you'd say, yeah, Rob, I know what you're talking about. I know what, I know what Acts 2 is about. Let me preach. <laughs> I know about the movement of God. Maybe that's you. My prayer is, Holy Spirit, move in whatever authentic way you want to. That it's that that is you in this time. I want to be. I want to rend my heart. I want to be open to you doing something that you want to do in this time, not just what you did in that other time, not just what you did last time. The best way to miss the next time is to be totally fixated on last time. God, I want whatever you're doing, and however you want to move, Holy Spirit, in my life. And I want to confess that there are things that I'm focused on and there are needs in my life that I am taking to God and there are desires that I'm taking to God and there are things that I'm grateful for that he's brought into my life that I'm celebrating him for. And, and you know what? I could totally just miss him. God, I just want you. And so right now in this time, we're going to open up some space for uh, ministry team, if you would like to receive prayer, we'll have some some uh, staff and leaders in front of this wall back here that would love to pray for you for, for real needs in your life. Maybe the locust has taken some stuff. Um, and also, maybe you're saying, I am hungry. I'm thirsty for a move of the Spirit in my life, and I want someone to lay hands on me and pray for me for that. We'd love to pray for you. God, we ask that you would work and you would move and you would reveal yourself an authentic way in our lives in this time. In Jesus' name, amen.